Travel, it's one of life's greatest pleasures. When we journey abroad, we discover new places and meet fascinating people, but we also gain perspective and take on a wider view of the world around us. That was Trevor Ranges, and I'm Scott Coates. After more than 25 years living and working in Asia, we've developed an amazing network of interesting characters throughout the region. Talk Travel Asia is our way of sharing them with you. Plug in and get connected to hot tips, interesting perspectives, and expert travel advice as we cultivate travel insight through intelligent conversation. Sitting just off the east coast of mainland China lies an island with a storied history. Formerly known as Formosa and officially known as the Republic of China, Taiwan is a territory slash country, depending on your opinion, mired in controversy, but full of natural beauty and an attractive destination for those who love traveling Asia. Home to nearly 24 million people, Taiwan is one of the world's most developed countries, and yet the eastern two-thirds of it is highly mountainous. Strangely, this destination is not on many people's travel radar. Today, we're going to get schooled on why Taiwan is an ideal travel destination from author and travel writer Joshua Samuel Brown about everything Taiwan has to offer. From Bangkok, Thailand, I'm Scott Coates, and with me from Phnom Penh is the world-famous... Yeah, I don't know if I'm famous yet in Taiwan, but maybe after this episode... uh yeah, Scott, Trevor ranges here from uh, Phnom Penh, Cambodia. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty excited about this episode. Uh, I, I, you know, my friends Tom and Sean both live in Taiwan, and I have a number of Taiwanese friends uh, or people who grew up in Taiwan, so I've heard a lot about it. And and I've, I've always said, you know, we got to do a Taiwan episode. We got to do a Taiwan episode, and, and it just never really sort of happened. Yeah, we've been talking about it for years, and here we are. And I mean, it's it's a bit of a blank space for me. I know that they are famous for welding great bike frames. I know that the KMT, Kunming Tang, fled there after losing the Chinese Civil War in 1949. I've heard there's great cycling there. The food is to die for. It's a very densely populated place. But yeah, I, I mean, beyond that, I, I really don't know much. So it's a bit of a void I'm, I'm looking forward to filling. Yeah, you know, I've been to the airport a bunch of times because, you know, the flights between uh, Thailand, sometimes Cambodia and Hawaii, they often stop in Taipei. And uh, the airport was always sort of kind of boring. But in recent years, they've they've tricked it out with all these different sections that feature different parts of the island with maps and and displays and samples of handicrafts from all over the country. So actually, during these layovers, I've learned a lot more about Taiwan. I've had some uh, craft beer at the airport. Uh, they, have cool. craft, they have little craft beer stands and stuff. And it's always had like this kind of interesting culture that I wanted to check out. Um, I just haven't had a chance to. So hopefully maybe on that next stopover to Hawaii, I'll, I'll stay for at least a few days, maybe a week. Yeah, indeed. And until uh, just before we get to Josh, remember, if you enjoy the show, if you listen, please throw us a little financial love because Trevor and I pay for this out of our own pockets does cost a bit of money so show us a bit of love and you can do that easily by visiting patreon.com sponsorship starts from as little as a dollar up a month and you know what now we give little bonus material to patrons so like every couple weeks you're going to get a little video maybe a photo gallery maybe a short little bonus episode so there's it's it's worth doing and trevor there's also a way people can help us right 
Yeah, you know, the, the Patreon thing, I'm glad we started doing uh, special episodes and videos for our sponsors. But, you know, everyone else, uh, while you're listening, you can just go ahead and, and rate the show. If you're listening on SoundCloud or if you're listening on iTunes, uh, it's really easy and it helps the show almost more than anything. Just rate it and maybe leave a little comment if you like. Um, follow us on, on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Uh, all of these little things help to increase our visibility on these different platforms. So thanks a lot. Perfect. Let's get into it with our guest. Our guest, Joshua Samuel Brown, a.k.a. Joss Ambro, an American, is a man wearing many hats, travel writer, journalist, Taiwan fixer, cyclist, radio broadcaster, experimenter of food, novelist, and a whole bunch more. He's written a few hundred articles for magazines, newspapers, websites, and trade publications, is the long-serving co-author of the Lonely Planet Taiwan Guidebook, and joins us to enthuse about why we should all have Taiwan on our list of destinations to visit. He joins us online from Portland, Oregon, in the good old U.S. of A. Thanks for joining us, Joshua. Well, we're old, that's for sure. I don't know how good we are at this point. I don't know if you've been following the news, but yeah, um, not our proudest moment as a democracy. <laughs> Nonetheless, we're talking about Taiwan. So, Josh, when did you first go to Taiwan and what was that experience like? I went to Taiwan in 1994 uh, as an English teacher, and my intention was to go there for just a couple of years and then move to Japan because that's where the big money was. And uh, I just fell in love with the place and I stayed there and, you know, I wound up staying there for five years. Then I went over to China for a while and then I came back and I kept bouncing back and forth between China, Taiwan and Hong Kong. Most recently, I spent three years there working on a book called Formosa Moon. All told, I've lived there for probably about 15 years. So you moved to Taiwan to teach English. And yes. how did that transition into writing books or, or writing the Lonely Planet guidebook and this other book that you just mentioned? I started writing short stories and articles, first for a magazine called The New Expatriate, and then later for some newspapers. And I collected some of them, and I wrote some others, and I sent them to a publisher I'd been working for, Things Asian Press. And uh, I wrote a book called Vignettes of Taiwan, which... Um, you know, people read and a lot of people have read and said, oh, this is the book that got me interested in Taiwan. Um, I was at a book fair in Hong Kong and uh, then Lonely Planet founder, still Lonely Planet founder, although he's not with the company anymore, Tony Wheeler was at the book festival and I pressed a copy of it into his hands and I said, uh, I'd really like to work for Lonely Planet. I know about Taiwan and I'd like to do the next guidebook for you. And he took it from me and he said, I'll have somebody look at this and uh, if I like it, I will uh, get back to you. And two weeks later, I got an email saying, hey, would you like to do a test chapter for Lonely Planet? And that's how it started for me. Cool. How many Lonely Planet guidebooks have you actually done on Taiwan? I've done two versions of Taiwan. And uh, all told, I've done 12 or 13 Lonely Planet guides. I've lost count because I think I've lost count. But I have not done a Lonely Planet guide since 2013. The last Lonely Planet guide that I did was Belize 2013. So I've been sort of semi-retired from travel writings. It's a younger man's game, guidebook writing, mm -hmm. or younger person's game, For sorry. Sure. But then that, you certainly are a bit of a Taiwan expert then. Would you say that you've done most of your research and writing about Taiwan? I would say, yeah, if I had to... I figured it out one time how many words I've written about Taiwan, and I, it was like a lot. It was like a, more than a million words. Uh, don't quote me on that. Maybe it's bad. But uh, yeah, I've, I've, most of the things that I've written have been about Taiwan. Even my new novel has Taiwan as a major character and as setting for most of the novel. So yeah, Taiwan is my muse, and I've written a lot about Taiwan. 
Joshua, I mean, Trevor and I have not been to Taiwan. Uh, I've been Why? through the airport many times. I know. So can you, in a nutshell, sort of help us and all our listeners understand, like, what makes Taiwan Taiwan? Like, what's different about it, say, versus somewhere in China or somewhere in Hong Kong or Singapore? Like, what what is Taiwan? Wow. That's a big question. Let me let me let me break that down a little bit. So Taiwan is Taiwan, um, and it often gets compared with China because well they speak Mandarin Chinese there, and then there's the whole political thing: Republic of China versus People's Republic of China. Whew, how to even? That's a huge, huge question. Maybe we do it this way: if someone was going, if someone was going to Taiwan for the first time, what would be like? Do you say like the top attractions you think that they would want to go see? My favorite thing to do in Taiwan is to wander around aimlessly in any city, but specifically Taipei. I would have to say that uh, one of my favorite activities to do in the world, and I've traveled around a lot, I've, been, I've done a lot of things, is to just wander around in Taipei. And one of the reasons that I like that is that even though I've lived there for so many years, and I mean, I've literally written, you know, two Taipei sections for Lonely Planet, and I should know the place like the back of my hand, I can walk around in a neighborhood that I've been in a hundred times and wander down an alley and see something that I had no idea existed. It could be a shrine to a certain deity or an unusually decorated apartment building or a restaurant that serves like the best nyoro mian or the best xiaolongbao uh, or something like that, beef noodle soup, which is, of course, Taiwan's famous for, or little dumplings. And I didn't know that it existed. And then lo local people would be like, oh, yeah, everybody knows about that place. It's like, you're the, you're the one who doesn't know about that. It's, oh, thank you for coming. So that's one of the things is that Taiwan has this ability to surprise people constantly. And um, while I could go up with like top 10 lists and stuff like that, I just like to wander around. And another reason is that people are very, very nice there. It's probably, you would ask me about Taiwan versus Hong Kong, for example. I lived in Hong Kong for two years, like Hong Kong, never felt that the people in Hong Kong were particularly warm and fuzzy. But Taiwanese people will go out of their way to make you feel comfortable, to make you feel welcome. And part of that goes back to the politics of because obviously Taiwan exists in a very strange political interzone. When you go to visit Taiwan, people there realize that you are, just by traveling there, you are making a statement of some sort. You're saying, hey, I see you. I recognize you. I'm coming to visit Taiwan, this place. And they appreciate that. And that's something that I haven't really found elsewhere very much, you that's know, or at least not in the same way. Hmm. I think you really hit something there that resonates with me is that by going there, people kind of say, hey, you recognize me and, and you've made the time to go there. So look, this is our first episode on Taiwan and Taiwan 101. It's called yeah. with Joshua Samuel Brown. Just thinking about that first time visitor, what are some of those key attractions and places people really need to go to for their first trip to Taiwan? General thing, plan to do, let's say, how, how long are you going to go for? Two weeks. You're going to go for two weeks. Plan to do a bunch of things and then be satisfied when you only wind up doing half of them because the first bunch of things that you thought you were going to do and only spend you know, a half a day, you wind up spending a day and a half and you're glad for that. Too late in my Taiwan experience did I find a place called Xiaoliuqiu, which is this little island that's right off the western coast. 
It's a beautiful island that has more temples per capita than I believe any place on the planet. Uh, just <laughs> these beautiful Taoist and Buddhist temples. It's an island, so they don't have a lot of traffic. It just has one road that goes around it. And they also have cat colonies there. I think that they have a trap neuter release program there, much mm. like Llama Island in, uh, in Hong Kong. And as a result, if you love temples, if you love seafood, and if you love cats, this <laughs> island is, for me, one of the, the best places to go. Um, Shaliocho, and two and a half, three years ago, not a lot of people knew about it. I've been writing about it, and I've been plugging it. So now I think a lot more people are going there. Um, and not just because of me, because other people have found out about it, too. But Shaliocho, so that's off the southwest kind of corner of the island. That's okay. one thing that I would put up there as a must-do. Mountaineering. Anybody who is a hardcore mountaineer, they will have all sorts of mountains to climb in Taiwan. I myself am not. I'm more of a hiker. Um, mm -hmm. But obviously, Yusan Jade Mountain is the highest peak in East Asia. If you want to do that, you'll need to get with a mountaineering club or you'll need to get permits because it's very high. It's very difficult. But if you're a mountaineer, that is the place to go. I love to go to Taidong, which is the southeasternmost county. It is beautiful. It has just lush, rolling green valley in between two imposing mountains, one to the mountain ranges, one to the east, one to the west. And it has some of the best cycling that I've ever experienced in my life. One of the things that I did before I left last year was I went and I just took a lengthy, lengthy bicycle trip all the way from Taipei, all the way down to Taidong. And it was one of the, the best bicycle trips that I had. I had no plans. I just stopped at hotels on the way, had a great time. Of course, it was before COVID when you could do these things. So Taidong, um, if you have the money or you can swing your way up in a balloon, they have a ballooning festival that is amazing and massive. So you can basically take a hot air balloon over Taidong and get a really good overview of it. Hot springs, it's almost impossible for me to pick my favorite hot spring in Taiwan because there are so many of them. So I'm going to go a little bit weird with this one. And even though I used to say things like Ilan and Jiaoxi, which I really like for hot springs because they have really good hot springs. More recently, I've gotten into this town called Guanziling, which is in Tainan County. But what's so special about Guanziling is that it has mud hot springs. So it's got these yeah. springs that you hang out in and it's got the mud that you sort of rub all over your skin and it exfoliates you. It's really nice, but it's also a super cool mountain town where you can get amazing food and super clean air and hot springs. What I'm going for right now are places that, like I get Taipei 101, but Taipei 101 no longer needs me to boost it. I love Taipei 101. I, I go there with groups there. I've been up Taipei 101 many, many times, but it's one of those things that people are going to do, whether I, I say to do it or not. Yamingsan, of course, if you're just going to Taipei, you can go hike in Yamingsan. So much has been written by me and by others about the night markets in Taipei. Every one of them is good. Some of them are less crowded than others. I tend to go to the ones that are sort of a little bit more local, and that's because I just don't like crowds so much anymore. Hey, you know what I noticed that was really nice about your list there is just that there were so many diverse things from this island of temples to this big mountain for mountaineering to cycling to hot air balloons to mud springs. It really seems like there's a really good and diverse things to do in Taiwan. I specifically chose those things, and I'll, and I'll be thinking of others, because the places that people know about 
Taipei or Taiwan, uh, the tourism associations are really good about letting people know about the places that are very famous, such as Taipei 101, Yaming San, that, that village that they say was the inspiration for the film Spirited Away, but actually wasn't because the director politely declined that offer. He said, no, this is something from, I will remember that in a minute. Everybody knows it. I, I've blocked it out of my mind. The, uh, Lantern Fest, the Pingxi Lantern Festivals, everybody knows about that, so you can get all the material about that right off the plane. But I like steering people towards these places that are a little bit less known, both because as a travel writer, I've always felt that it was my duty to sort of steer people towards the less popular things because they're just as worthy, but also they kind of need the attention a little bit more. Not that any of these places need the attention at this point. Tourism, by the way, in Taiwan is doing great uh, during the time of COVID because people who live there are going and just taking the time to explore Taiwan, even though they've lived there all their lives because of, um, you know, COVID-19, they can't leave the country. Another place that I would absolutely put on the list that doesn't make it on enough lists but should is the archipelago of Penghu, which I lived on for a full year. It's the windiest place on the northern hemisphere. It's great for kite surfing, windsurfing, some of the best beaches that I've ever been to, and just as much seafood as you would ever want and inexpensive. You can get uni, you know, that delicious uh, sea urchin right out of the shell. Like they'll pick it out of the sea for you with big gloves so you don't spike your hand and then feed it to you. Pung is another place. And that doesn't make it on a lot of lists. It should, but it doesn't. Hey, you know what we're going to need to do with you, Josh, is that uh, in our show notes on our website, we do a Google map each week. So we're going to have to ask you to help us put together a Google map so that our listeners can go to the website and take a look at the map. So that if they do want to go to Taiwan, that they can, uh, you know, other than buying one of your books, they could uh, have a look at, at what these places that you're mentioning more easily. One of the things that's easy about Taiwan is it's, it's, it's super easy to do that. Super easy, barely an inconvenience, as Ryan George would say. Um, yeah, Taiwan is easy to find your way around. Another thing, anybody who is just going to Taiwan for two weeks, I would just take trains. Take trains, get yourself a guidebook or get a magazine, and just get on and off the train whenever you feel like it. Take the high-speed rail because it's wonderful, but also take the slow train that goes up the East Coast and get off if you see something that looks nice. Wander up and down the coast. I know a guy called John Groot. He wrote a book called Taiwanese Feet, which was funny. It was interesting. And what the book was, he's lived in Taiwan. He walked around Taiwan. He took a, a walk just around the perimeter, but he didn't do it like a normal person would do where you, you know, take, I think you could do it in three months at a normal walking speed. He did it over the course of eight years by Jeez. going to one point and then like, okay, this is as far as I can get today. Now I've got to go back to work. He had a job and a wife and all mm. that stuff. And so what he would do is then come back to that point the next time it was time to pick up the adventure and he wound up doing the entire perimeter of the island and he saw things that i had never seen before and i was like oh my god I, another writer who has seen things that i haven't noticed my hat was absolutely off to him you could experience stuff like that just by taking a train and getting off at a certain place and walking around and seeing what you see one of the things about taiwan is it is I would go as far as to say it may be one of the safest places on the planet. Uh, and I mean this for any traveler. Um, you know, single travelers, you can still hitchhike there. I hitchhike there all the time. And that gives you a lot of um, leeway when it comes to just exploring on your own. 
Okay, cool. You know, and and I'm looking at a map right now, and it is a relatively large island. Um, so yeah. you know, I mean, it's pretty cool that hobby this guy had to take uh, eight years to do the three months. Mm-hmm. Um, but and of course, most people are probably going to have to fly into the capital city um, on arrival. But you know, like some people just aren't city people. But at the same time, a lot of a, a, a country's culture can be found in the cities. So maybe you could mention like uh, one or two of the other secondary cities that that you were impressed by, or you think that have something worthwhile for visitors to check out? One of the things that I did when I was last living in Taiwan was I was working for a a magazine called Taiwan Scene. And so because I don't like hanging out in offices and I gave myself the job because I was the editor in chief of like, I'm going to go do a city focus. And so I got to basically explore a lot of the other cities that I had been to visited, but never explored, you know, hardcore exploration. Because when I do Lonely Planet guides, there are always two authors, and I was always the Taipei guy and the Outer Islands guy. So uh, Robert Kelly, I think, did the other cities, which I knew them, but I didn't explore them as a guidebook writer. So I went and I took at least two different trips to the city of, well, more than that, five trips, to Tainan. Tainan is um, it's the oldest city in Taiwan. It had been the capital. It was where the Dutch had basically set up their own you know, base of control for the brief period of time that they were the colonial power in Taiwan. And in addition to having the oldest temples on Taiwan, it also has a surprisingly cool hipster culture, which is why when when my my wife and I put out our book Formosa Moon, we have a chapter called uh, Tainan is the Portland of Taiwan. And what do I mean by hipsters? I mean, I saw shops that had single origin coffee and the signs were in English and Chinese, like, you know, a good single origin coffee, just like you'd get in a very hip part of the States, like Portland. Um, Guys with little beanies riding fixed gear track bikes on the cobblestone alleys that were built in the late Ming dynasty and art studios and just people. And what I later found out from talking to people is that there were a lot of artists living there who were from Taipei. And they were like, yeah, you know, I I graduated from school and I didn't want to join the rat race. I didn't want to spend a lot of money on rent. I didn't want to get a job, you know, that's a, a regular straight job. And I found out that rents were super cheap down in Tainan so I could come down here and open up an artist studio with an attached coffee shop. And now that's my thing. So there's a lot of that in Tainan. So there's this mixture of old Ming dynasty temples and streets that are four or 500 years old, cobblestone streets, and cool cafes and art houses and people doing all sorts of really interesting artwork. So Tainan would definitely be, if there was any one city that I'm going to take one city just to walk around and get to know intimately, Tainan would be number one on the list. Hmm. Very cool. Taichung is another good city. So just for people who don't speak Chinese, I'll give you a real quick Chinese lesson. So Taipei means North Taiwan. Hmm. Taichung means Central Taiwan. And Tainan means South Taiwan. And those are both, uh, well, Taipei is not a count. Well, yeah, Taipei is actually it's a complicated thing. But in any event, Taipei is in the north. Taichung is in the center. All this is on the west coast. And Tainan is in the south. So Taichung is the center most city. It's on the west coast. It has a reputation as being um, a very working class, very blue collar city. 
but it also has some fantastic art museums. It, there's no city in Taiwan that doesn't have fantastic temples. So it's just a question of getting to know wherever you are and asking where temples are, just looking for them. One thing I liked about Taichung is it had a lot of old, well, not so old, comparatively, Japanese architecture. Architecture from the Japanese colonial era, which I love architecture. I'm a, I, I, it's one of my favorite things to just explore. And there are all these buildings there that were built in the 1910s, 20s, 30s, you know, beautiful red brick structures that had been colonial structures back in the day that are now galleries, art museums, or quirky things. For example, there's one place, I'll tell you a real quick story. It's in my book, Formosa Moon. You can edit it as you like. I'm hanging out with my friend, uh, Simon. He's the guy that I've led bike tours with. He's like, Josh, I'm going to take you to the eye hospital. Why, t- why the eye hospital? And so I'm like, I speak in Chinese. Why are you taking me to the eye hospital? My eyes are fine. And then he's like, well, it's for the ice cream. Okay, what's the connection? Turns out that there was a famous eye hospital built by a Japanese doctor during the day where they'd done all sorts of eye surgery. The building had fallen into disrepair. And recently it was renovated and opened up as a boutique ice cream store where you can get some of the best ice cream that you've ever had. And look at these, you know, this hundred year old building that's super cool and hang out in there. There's art. There's all sorts of stuff there. But it's known as the, you know, the ice cream eye hospital. Everybody in Taichung knows about it. They go, yeah, the eye hospital. That's where you get the ice cream. But yeah, that's in Taichung. And so there's a lot of that old Japanese uh, colonial buildings that have been renovated. Whereas a lot of the old Japanese buildings still exist in Taipei, but a lot of them have also been repurposed for government buildings because that's what they had been built for. Now, Josh, uh, I'd always heard over the last, say, decade that you know, Taiwan's a real cycling place and you mentioned it. I know that they kind of pioneered the industry of welding bike frames there. I'm a mountain biker and also a road rider. So can you just elaborate a little bit on the kind of cycling there? Like, is there, you know, real off road riding? Is there road riding? Like, where would you go and what's it like? To my great shame and consternation, I never did much off-road riding in Taiwan. And the reason is, is that I, I had a road bike the last two times that I lived there, and that's what I tended to ride. And the roads there are very, very good for cycling. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to kick the off-road riding question. And I know that it exists. And at different points, I was communicating with people who live in Nanto, which is up in the mountains, like, oh, you have to come out here. There's great off-road riding. And it just never happens. But as far as road riding goes, I've written a couple of stories about it. Um, what happened was is that Taiwan has long been an exporter of bicycles. And it made cheap bicycles made in Taiwan in the 1980s, 1990s. And then it started making really good, high-quality bicycles. I think the first carbon fiber frame that I ever bought was a giant made in Taiwan. I bought it in Taiwan, and I loved it. But sometime in the early 00s, what happened was the government was like, hey, we have all these bicycles here, and people are starting to get interested in bicycling as a hobby and as a sport. And hey, we're a beautiful country, but people don't know about it. Let's start building some more bicycle-friendly infrastructure and see what happens and then promoting that. And as a result, the government just started building, you know, the regular roads that have just bike paths are there, but they also started doing things like taking old train tracks and, you know, doing a a rail-to-trail thing where they'd have... And this is why I mentioned earlier Taidong. The reason is is that Taidong has an old rail-to-trail thing that is now just a beautiful... It is paved, 
but it's a bicycling trail that goes right through the the Rift uh, Valley, which is basically where the, um, what is it? It's the Filipino plate and the Asian plate meet each other in their slow, you know, courtship that has gone on over eons, which causes the earthquakes and the hot springs. But also that's just a beautiful, beautiful place where you look to one side, you see the central mountain range, you look to another, you see the east coast mountain range. And in the middle is just lush green land without it's the least populated part of Taiwan, and it's also where there are these beautiful bicycle trails. So that's when I say trails, they're they're asphalt trails, but they're car free, and that's where I always wind up taking my bicycle tours. But even if you want to go off that, when you go onto the main road, there's not all that much traffic. Taiwanese people generally tend to be very friendly, and when they see cycling groups at this point, and it's a cultural thing. Twenty years ago, this was not a thing. I would like, I was one of the only people who, you know, bicycled around from city to city. And my, my landlady was like, Oh my God, you're crazy. You're going from Shinju to Taipei. You're nuts. Do you want me to drive? I'm like, no, I'm doing this for fun. Now, 20 years later, there are people who bicycle all over the place. There's enough bicycling is popular enough there that you will be given a, a wide berth. People will go around you on the road and that makes it much less stressful to ride around. You can ride around the perimeter of the island, seeing different things, different landscapes, and having a genuinely pleasant, genuinely nice ride. I, I've done that ride in 10 days, so you can do that in 10 days. You can take a little bit longer. You can also, at various different points, challenge yourself and cross the central mountain range at various points, one of which is um, from Hualien, you go into Taroko Gorge, which of course, I would have said that that automatically goes on a must-see list, what they call Taiwan's Grand Canyon, but I prefer calling America's Grand Canyon, you know, America's Taroko mm -hmm. Gorge, but that's that's just me. But that particular road is difficult. It is a steep climb, and that is what people ride on the King of the Mountain race that happens every year, which I believe has, do not quote me on this, you can just look it up, you just internet it, but I believe it goes from sea level to... I want to say 10,000 feet, but it may be different. Please don't quote me on this, but it, it, is, it is a monumental climb to do in one morning. And that is what the King of the Mountain Race does. I've never done that personally. I have done this ride in a course of days. That that climb and that uh, those dedicated bike trails sound really, really good. You've, you've piqued my interest. Trevor, I know you're pretty keen on knowing about the beach and surfing. Yeah, you know, Josh, you, men you mentioned Pungku, I think it was was called, where they oh, have yes. the, the kite surfing and some really nice beaches yes. and stuff. You know, we talked to another guy who'd, who'd been in Taiwan quite a bit, and he said there was some pretty good surf as well. Uh, but he said it was really windy down there. So, and, and I'm not sure exactly what the weather's like. Maybe this is in like the southern, southeastern part of the, of the mm -hmm. country. Uh, what's the weather like there? Is nice summers, good beach weather? Is there any decent surf that huh. you know of? Hot summers. I'm not a surfer. I have actually written stories about trying to surf in Taiwan. Hmm. I'm not a. I I lack the balance to stand on a surfboard unless I'm holding on to something like a kite, which I can kite surf. I'm not great at it or, or a windsurfing thing. Penghu is. It's basically equidistant between Taiwan and China, so it's got this wind channel. Mm. And right right around October, it starts to get windy, 
and it stays windy until summer. So you've got a long and very, very powerful windsurfing and kite surfing season, which is why people come there to just challenge themselves. I mean, I, I've talked to people who they spend part of the year in the Canary Islands and then they come to Taiwan and they just windsurf there autumn and winter. Weather-wise, um, South Taiwan tends to be warmer uh, especially if you're going to Tainan, you can walk around in shirt sleeves in the winter. They have cold spells every now and again. Right now, everybody on Taiwan Twitter is like, oh my God, it's so cold. It's nine degrees Celsius, of course, which is, you know, not freezing, freezing cold. It's just chilly. The cycling season in Taiwan, the best season to cycle is either in April, March and April, because that is when spring is ending, the rainy season is ending, but the summer hasn't yet hit. You may have some rain, but you just work around that. And then uh, October and November are great months because it's getting cooler. It's still dry. The rains haven't come yet. If you come in the summer and cycle, it is going to be very, very hot. And I've done some cycle touring in the summer and it is it really depends on, on what your constitution is, but it can be brutally hot. And I know people who do it all year round, and I have, but it's it's just hot. Winters, I mean, you guys are in Thailand, right? Cambodia, but Thailand, yeah, we're the same, same weather. Okay. Cooler. I don't know what the winters are like in Cambodia. But uh, once, you, and once you get into the mountains, it gets cooler. In the winter, I mean, we get snow in the mountains there, so you'll see snow in the winter. Hmm. Yeah. Any skiing in Taiwan? Good question. Not yet. People have always talked to oh, others there. I've talked to people like we should have a little like a ski thing, but there's just not enough snow and it doesn't last very long. Somebody tried to open up a grass skiing <laughs> resort. I don't know what happened with that. So, yeah, maybe uh, some indoor skiing. I can see them building a, a surf machine or a wave pool somewhere in, in, in like a shopping mall or something too. Yeah. Well, there was a great water park, but then one of my favorite water parks on the planet, but they had a fire about five years ago and that uh, they couldn't, the insurance killed them. So is Taiwan an expensive place? Like I know, for instance, Japan's always kind of in people's minds expensive place. Is Taiwan expensive? Not like Japan. Uh, I wrote an article for Taiwan Scene Magazine about a year and a half ago, which was, uh, and the reason that I wrote it this way, no offense to any listeners in Thailand, it was called uh, Taiwan versus Thailand. Forget what I call it. Taiwan versus Thailand. And I, I went down the list of which place is better for what. And then one of the things that I did was expenses. And the fact is, yes, you're, your bot is going to go farther in Thailand than your new Taiwan dollar is going to go in Taiwan. But Taiwan is definitely cheaper than Japan. You can stay in a hostel there for, it's been a while, but 1300 NT dollars, new Taiwan dollars a night. So that's 35, 40 bucks. You can, you can really, you can get by if you and a buddy are traveling on the cheap you can get by for 50 bucks a day in Taiwan, especially I, I use um, some different apps to find cheap hotels rooms. I, of course, now I don't know what the situation is because of COVID-19, but um, it is definitely cheaper than Japan, not as cheap as Thailand, certainly not as cheap as Cambodia, unless hmm. things have changed radically. There's Do they have like Airbnb there or anything like that, or just like homestays around the countryside? That's that's a tricky political question. Uh, okay. um, yes, they do have Airbnb, but it is not uh, sanctioned by the government. And so um, any listings that you might see on the Taiwan Airbnb site are uh, for, for uh, reference purposes only the last time I checked. That was a big thing. I was talking to a lot of people from the Taiwan Tourism Bureau a couple of years ago when I was working for Taiwan Scene. And they were like, yeah, we're trying to we're, we're, we're not, the problem is that the hotel owners were worried about unfair competition. And one of the things that Taiwan does really well, case in point, COVID-19, is they protect their own 
from unfair competition or international trends that might not be in Taiwan's best interest. So one of the things that Taiwan has done, in addition to closing their borders for COVID-19, which good show right there, that really did work wonderfully. I uh, wish we could say the same literally anywhere else. But uh, when Airbnb started coming around, they were like, yeah, this may not be fair to the people who have, you know, spent, who have invested in building the tourism infrastructure here. And so that's, uh, that's still a tricky question at this point. But you can get really nice hotels there. And there, I've stayed in some of the best hotels that I've ever stayed at in Taiwan and still on a reasonable budget. Well, you've shared a, a ton there, Josh, certainly more than enough for our first uh, show for Taiwan. But just thinking, wrapping up Taiwan here a bit, like, is there something you definitely want to make sure everybody knows about Taiwan or leaves this episode knowing about Taiwan? That Taiwan is a place that is absolutely worth visiting once in your lifetime. It's one of the most special places on the planet. There's often, I guess, sort of a, a, an instinct to like, how do you compare it to other places? And that's a natural thing. That's, that's how we humans do. We compare things that we don't know to things that we do know. But Taiwan is incredibly surprising. It is one of the most diverse countries uh, that I've been to in Asia in so far that, yeah, of course you've got that. You've got that Chinese, you know, um, influence there, but you've also got this uh, Aboriginal and Indigenous culture there that is surprising and beautiful and welcoming, and even in some places slightly foreboding. Another place that that I visited for Lonely Planet was Lanyu, which is this island that is all the way off the southeastern coast. There were some heavy winds, so we couldn't leave. It took three days to leave, and I just felt a very, very powerful spirit there of like, this is not, it didn't feel like this is definitely not a Chinese place. This is an indigenous tribal community. And the feeling that I got was like, okay, have I overstayed my welcome here because I've been here three days and, and these people have their own thing to, you know, they it's, it's, I was there as a tourist and the place didn't feel like it was like other things were going on and ceremonies were happening and all sorts of things. And I'm like, oh, wow. I have traveled to a lot of places that seem to exist for the sake of tourism. For example, uh, I spent a week in Kyoto, really liked it, very nice. But when I went to temples there, my feeling was that those temples were there, they were tourist temples. They were there so that tourists could come, look at things, have this experience, and then leave. When I go to temples in Taiwan, and I feel this way about almost every temple except for the handful that are really designated tourism temples, I feel like... There, they would be, everything that was happening there would be happening, even if I wasn't there watching it as an observer, as an observer, as a traveler. When Taiwanese people go to temples to bye-bye, to pray, to do their thing, they're not doing it because it's part of some tourism ritual. This is their life, and you're lucky and privileged to be able to go in and to see that for a moment and then leave. This is how I put it. And I don't know if you want to use this. I put this in my Thailand versus Taiwan article. I jokingly said, this is right after the movie, uh, Infinity, the Infinity War movie had come out. And I said, if Thanos had snapped his finger and you were, what's the most popular tourism drag, uh, Thailand? Elephant pants. <laughs> you, okay. You mean cows oh, on no. road? Cows on road. Cows on road. Thank you. Okay. Wow. If if somebody had gotten a hold of the Infinity Gauntlet in Thailand and said, okay, I want all the tourists to disappear and snap their fingers, what would happen if you were on Khao San Road? Well, everybody would disappear, yeah? Bingo. 
Exactly. If you went to any night market in Taiwan and did the same thing, somebody gets that Thanos glove, you'd see some dust blowing around. But for the most part, you wouldn't you might not even notice because these are local people who are eating at these night markets as they have been for, you know, 50 years, 100 years. Same thing at the temples. Same thing at any of these tourist spots that I've mentioned or that you're going to see in any of the tourist magazines that you, that you read or even my Lonely Planet guide. People in Taiwan don't seem to exist just for the sake of tourism, even in tourism heavy spots. Whereas I felt that way when I travel around, I was in, um, where was I? I was in Thailand two years ago. And that's something that I think is increasingly rare and valuable. And that's something that I, in some ways, I sometimes like, like to think that Taiwan will always be like that, no matter how popular it becomes. And I'd like to see that you know, remain, but Hey, so why don't you, uh, why don't we wrap things up by telling us about any new projects you're working on, whether it's Taiwan based or not. I have just released my first novel. It is called Spinning Karma. And it is a novel that takes place only partially here in Taiwan. And that uh, was published by Camphor Press. Camphor Press is a publishing house that publishes books about East Asia, but specifically about Taiwan. And uh, I'll just give you the back blurb, a reluctant American spiritual leader a fake viral video, a media-driven propaganda war between America and China that spirals out of control. Spinning karma is the East collides with West farce the world needs and deserves now. So this is a book in which Taiwan is a major character. I actually got to use a little snippet that I had originally written for Lonely Planet, but it for various reasons it didn't get put in a Lonely Planet guide, so I got to reprint it in here as a snippet of the guidebook that my protagonist is reading as he's on the plane to Taiwan. You know, Taiwan has been amused to me, so I'm really proud that I've gotten to present Taiwan as both a setting and as a character in a novel that I wrote. So that's my latest, Spinning Karma. That's great. I look forward to reading it. And to listeners, to learn more about Joshua and follow his many projects, be sure to visit jossambro.com, J-O-S-A-M-B-R-O.com, which has a ton of subsites, pages, and more. And let me tell you, clear your schedule before you go there because there's tons of info there. So Josh, thanks so much for being the first one to chat and share about Taiwan with all of our listeners. Thank you. Thank you very much. And yes, and, and when you go to my website, if you have any questions about Taiwan, just uh, fill in the form and I'll, I'll try to get back to you. Sounds great. Great. Be well. Hey, Scott, I think we did a pretty good job picking the right guest for Taiwan 101. Uh, he had a lot of really good information to share. Yeah, Joshua is super enthusiastic about Taiwan, obviously almost too much good info in there. Like we could almost bust that into two episodes. And my guess is, you know, in 2021 here, we'll have Josh on again to talk about some aspect of Taiwan. But yeah, he's piqued my interest. And man, I'm super keen to go one of these days. Yeah, you know, I mean, I didn't know about the, the cycling, but it sort of makes sense that that place that he said was famous for cycling was also famous for hot air ballooning, which is something that I've always wanted to do. You know, despite the fact that he mentioned how windy the country can be on, on the one coast, um, you know, it, it does seem like it's a, a quite safe country uh, to do such activities as that. Um, hot springs, mud springs, mountains to climb, you know, it just seems like uh, it's chock full of uh, attractions. Yeah, tons of stuff there. And, you know, I, I think of any place that's interesting, like Sri Lanka, kind of small country, but tons to do. And Taiwan seems the way, it's the same way, like not a massive island, but 
I'm sure you could spend years there exploring it, as he mentioned, with the guy who spent eight years walking around. So, yeah, I'm pretty keen to go. I mean, I've been to a lot of places in Asia, especially Southeast Asia. Taiwan's that that void. It has the great food, seemingly, as the mountains. It has water, has friendly people, has some cycling, like... I'm in. So high speed rails. Yeah. You know, it's like, it, it seems like it's this kind of, you know, in some ways like Thailand that it's both modern and traditional at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Interest is fully peaked, fully keen to go. And, uh, Josh has been cool enough to help us put together a Google map. So if you go to talktravelasia.com, you can look at the Google map of all the places he talked about. He's also shared some photos for a photo gallery. So get to the site. Also make sure you check out Josh's site buy his book, et cetera. So Trevor, why don't you take us out of this thing? Yeah, thanks everyone for listening again. Uh, before you go, if you don't mind just going down and rating the show, whether you're listening on SoundCloud or iTunes, uh, you know, if you give us a rating and a review, that really helps uh, with our visibility. So otherwise, uh, thanks for listening. And uh, we'll be back in two weeks with another interesting episode. Thanks for joining us on Talk Travel Asia. We look forward to sharing with you again soon. Hey Scott, do you remember the time we walked on top of the wall at Angkor Thom and Cambodia?